You're listening to a podcast of Family Church in West Monroe, Louisiana. Wherever or however you're listening, our hope is that this message would be challenging and inspiring for you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. Thanks for listening, and let's head to the message. The title of the series is obviously 1 John, Go Deeper in Christ, and then tonight's specific message is entitled Deep Hope, and it is based off of 1 John chapter 2, 28 through 29, and chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And so I want to start tonight, as I get this bottle cap off, by asking you guys a question, okay? Do not answer this question, but as you attempt to answer it, just keep it in your mind. Don't yell it out, okay? I I don't want to know some of your personal business or whatever. So anyway, and probably your neighbor doesn't either. So Keep it to yourself, keep it inside the four walls of your mind, but do try to answer it. The question is simply this. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? Now, not your life, but yourself. Okay? Now, think on that a second while I kind of carry on here. Some of you probably go to the physical part of us and you think, man... I wish I could be a little more muscular. Maybe I'd like to have a little, be a little slimmer, maybe less big, whatever the case. More hair, smaller nose, prettier, more handsome, whatever the case may be. Some people's mind may have went there, okay? Or maybe um, you went to the intelligence side. Man, I wish I would have been smarter. Wish I was more intelligent. I wish I was good at math. I wish I was a good, maybe it's a personality kind of deal. I'm not a people person. I wish I was a people person. You know, or maybe it is a personality type. You know, they have all kind of personality tests to tell you what you are and all that kind of thing. And maybe you feel like you're like the runt of the personality types. And, you know, you would really just like to be another personality type if you could get a do-over. So if somebody... If God were to say, hey, if you can change one thing, bam, you can push this button, you might would say, I'd love to be a different personality or temperament or whatever, okay? So as you are thinking about that, I want want to just present this to you. Regardless, okay, of how you or I may have, regardless of what we may have thought of in terms of answer, regardless of what we may have thought of, When asked that question, most everyone, most everyone will answer that question in terms of wanting to be a better version of themselves. You would have answered in the terms of improvement. In other words, I don't think Pastor O would have said, man, I wish I was be a little fatter. I don't think he would answer the question that way. I don't think Ron would have answered, man, I sure wish I was dumber. No, you answered the question in terms of wanting to be better. I don't think anybody in here in their right mind could even fathom changing yourself in terms of being what you would perceive to be worse and not better. Okay? I want you to think about this for a moment. Think about the vast amount of money and energy and time that is put into education. Think about it. The world over, billions of dollars is spent on education. Most people spend many years of their life sitting in a classroom. All in an effort, certainly not to hurt, but to help. 
to improve, right? Now, certainly you can go overboard with that, but for the most part, that's a good thing, correct? It's, it's an absolute necessity in many cases. Education is not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But think about how much energy and effort we actually put into improving our lives and developing. Now, think about something that's possibly more vain. Think about what we spend on cosmetics or in the cosmetic industry to look better, to smell better. Now, I'm all about wearing cologne. I'm all, Savannah, I'm all aware about you wearing some perfume. I don't want to get a whiff of you when you come by. I'm all about that. We all want to smell good. We all want to look good. Now, there's certainly a line there which someone could cross, and you could be vain with and that kind of thing. But certainly nothing wrong with smelling good, looking good, etc. But think about the amount of time and energy and money that is spent on simply cosmetics. Think about it. Now, that's not necessarily a necessity. And it wasn't long ago that people probably did not utilize everything we utilize today, okay? But I say whatever's available, use it to, to, to make you look better and smell better, okay? <laughs> Nothing wrong with that as long as you keep it in bounds. Now, what all of that says, I want you to pay attention to this. What all of that says is that we, as human beings, believers and unbelievers alike, we live our lives in such a way that tells off on us that we all have a desire to be better. That what we are now is not all that we certainly want to be or can be or should be. Are you following me? Okay? We all have an innate desire to improve, to be better, and that is there whether we are willing to recognize that or not. The fact, just the way we live our lives speaks that loud and clear. And I think you would agree with me. Now, let's turn a corner. What if, Michael Stravada, that we as believers would answer the question this way? That if we could change one thing, the one thing that we would change our that we would change about our lives is that we would simply be totally like Jesus Christ. Instead of saying, oh, I wish I had a different personality. Oh, I wish I was smarter. Oh, I wish I was cuter. One, if you were to push the button, if I could change one thing, I would be totally like Jesus Christ as fully possible as that is in the here and now. And, that, and imagine this with me. Imagine you pushing that button and then bam, tomorrow you waking up and all of a sudden through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, you had the power to live your life completely and totally the way Jesus himself would live it. Imagine the difference that that would make in your home, in your marriage, in your children's lives, your grandchildren's lives, your co-workers' lives. If Jesus in you showed up fully every day. Once again, instead of answering the question, I would like better hair, or I would like more muscles, or I'd like a smaller behind, that you would simply say, I would like to be like Jesus Christ. 
fully conformed into His image. Now, here's the deal. The truth is, as born-again believers, God has began. God has begun. He has, he has started a work in, of transformation in all of us. A work to transform us into the very image of His Son. That work began when we were born again. The truth is, every believer has a deep hope, not just to be better, but to be like Christ. And there is within us a God-given desire to be like His Son, Jesus Christ. If you are a believer, it may be calloused over, it may not be real strong, but if you're a true believer, there is a God-given desire, a God-given hope within each and every one of us to be like His Son, Jesus. And God is the one that has started that transformation process. If you would, put up the first Scripture. It should be, look at this. I'm going to read it off the screen. It says this, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, so it's God who began it, will continue His work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. God starts it, He finishes it, and it doesn't end until we stand before the Lord. That's clear. Next verse, or next passage. This is 10 all the way through 14. I'm going to read it off the screen if I, I think I can up top. Listen to this, verse 10. I want to know, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. I want to suffer with Him. I want to share sharing in His death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Now that statement right there, Paul's tipping us off for what he really is meaning in these next few verses. Verse 12. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. Listen to this. But I press on to possess. I press on to possess. In other words, my one desire is to be like Jesus is what he's saying ultimately and fully. I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Noted, brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. One more verse. Romans 8, 29 says this, For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them. He chose them to become like His Son so that His Son will be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We all have a God-given desire to be like His Son, and that is God's will for our lives as well. Therefore, on your outline, the first point is this, and I'm going to move quickly through these first four statements. Our great hope is to not only be with Christ, but to be like Christ as well, transformed into His image. There's a difference. Yes, as believers, we long to be with the Lord, or we should, but we also should, be long, we also should long to be transformed into His image. Image And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 is expressing, that he's longing for full transformation in his life. And like Paul, we should be desiring to grow and be transformed as well. The second point 
This transformation into Christ's likeness continues on until we stand before Jesus. Obviously, it starts when we come to know the Lord and we're born again, and it stops when we stand before Him. Until then, you're not done. Everybody got it. You're not done until you stand before the Lord. Next statement is this. It is God who both starts and finishes this work of transformation. I'll give you a minute to write that. That's obvious. But this next statement says this. Our role is to fully surrender to the transformation process and always, always do our part. God is the author and the finisher of this process, yes, but we have a role, we have a responsibility in the process as well, and we must know what that is and pick it up each day and carry it out. And so with that introduction, we will now read, this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to read the entirety of the first John passage. I'm going to read 28, 29, and the first three verses of chapter 3. And as we read these verses, stay with me, and then we're going to go back and we're going to look at each verse, verse by verse, and make some comments. And you may ask, well, what was, what was this first part? Everything we set up until this point, I want you just to let swirl around in your mind as we work our way through the rest of the outline. As we work our way through these five verses in 1 John, just let everything that we have said thus far just sort of swirl around in your mind and mix in with what we are now fixing, fixing to look at. So 1 John, if I can get to it myself, chapter 2, starting in verse 28. And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when He returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from Him in shame. Since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know Him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but He has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as He is pure." And that is the reading of the main passage. Can you say amen? All right. So now we're going to verse 28. Verse 28 out of chapter 2. You should have it on your outline. I'm going to reread it, and then we'll make a few comments here. Verse 28. And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that. I want you to think about that phrase right there, so that. So that. When he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. In other words, we'll be able to stand before him with confidence. What a verse. What a verse. This verse clearly indicates that we are to remain or abide in Jesus Christ, that we are to remain in fellowship with him. And he, let me say this. If you want to know where the transformation happens, it happens 
in the process of abiding with Jesus Christ. If you want to know where spiritual maturity comes from, it comes from abiding in the presence and in the Word of Jesus Christ. That's where the transformation happens is in the abiding. And someone may ask, well, what what does it mean to abide in Christ? Well, it means that we're to dwell with Him. We are to focus in on Christ, focus in on His Spirit, His Word, and then we faithfully remain there in that spiritual posture. Now follow me. What does it mean to abide? It means that we focus in on the Lord, and then we faithfully remain there in that spiritual posture. Now, to abide, does it mean to abide, do we have to pray? Yes. Do you have to show up for church? Yes. Do you have to read the Bible? Yes. But to abide and remain in the fellowship with Jesus Christ is something, it's all that plus some. Abiding, and you need to get a hold of this because of what we're going to talk about in a minute. Let me not get ahead of myself. Abiding is a 24-7 activity. It is a 24-7 activity. It is a spiritual posture where you're, you're keeping your eyes on God, you're keeping your eyes on Christ, and you're abiding in that spiritual posture. Does that include prayer? Yes. Does it include all the other things that we know of? Yes. But it also means that when you're working, when you're going about your day, you can still maintain that spiritual posture. Does that take practice? Yes. Is it a developed habit? Yes. Will you ever do that successfully without trying? And, with, and with, Will you ever really do what I just said without trying and without believing you can? Probably not. You have to believe that you can abide with Jesus Christ 24-7, keeping your eyes on Him. You first have to believe that and then try that for that to become a reality in your life. If you reduce it down to a devotion and to come into church and a spiritual moment, then you're you're basically defeated before you ever get started. It's a full-time deal. Full-time. You keep your eyes on the Lord, you focus in on Him, and then you faithfully stay with that spiritual posture. And that's important to know what that is. Now... This verse also indicates that Jesus will return one day. Obviously, Scripture teaches very clearly that Jesus will return one day both visibly and bodily. That He will return. Now, here's the kicker. Here is the kicker. This verse also indicates that there is a link. There is a link between our abiding and our standing before Him, our standing before Christ with confidence. Does everybody clearly see that link in this Scripture? I'm going to read it again. And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when He returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from Him in shame. So there's a clear link between how well we remain in fellowship, how well we abide and are standing before the Lord when He comes back. At one time in my life when I was a kid, I kind of had this version, and I can't say much because I don't want to give away my 
just what I say is my opinion about the rapture. My opinion don't matter. So I'm going to got to be careful how I say this. But as a kid, I kind of had a, a version of the rapture that's kind of like just walking along and just all of a sudden, boop, you just sort of out of here. And, you know, that you're gone and it's all good. But you know what? Regardless of what you may think about the rapture, regardless of what you may think about the Lord's coming, that's, that verse is so simple that it's almost impossible to mess up unless you just want to believe that it doesn't say what it believes. Because the opposite is also true if you don't abide. So if you don't abide, that would tell me that perhaps you're not going to be able to stand before Him with confidence. And that you will shrink back from Him in shame. And there's a lot of theology that, to be frank, sort of just tosses that out the window. But that's what it says. Just, I mean, It's just so plain. You, you just, I mean, you just got to want to not believe it. Next verse says this, verse 29. Since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. In other words, those who practice righteousness are truly born of God as Christ. In other words, they will act in a way that Christ does himself. And this is on your outline. There should be, there should be a clear likeness between Christ's character and the character of God's children. Because we have been born again, God's life is within us. And so in a sense, I'm, I'm saying this just to, for you to track with me. In a sense, God's, de God's spiritual DNA is now within us. And so therefore, there should be a clear likeness between our character and God's character. There should be a clear likeness or similarity between us in Christ. Look at this next point. Our lives should be in alignment with His since we have now been born into His family. We should bear the family traits. Our behavior, our lifestyle should mirror and reflect the behavior and lifestyle of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our lives should be in alignment with the Lord. Now let me ask you this. It's, it, I mean, now I don't necessarily think this way, but I know people who do. Just how out of alignment can your life be with Jesus and you still truly be saved and go live with Jesus forever? I don't know. And probably neither does anybody else, but I will tell you this. That's just a question. You're going, if that is a person's attitude of heart, that they're trying to figure out the bare minimum That's nobody likes that kind of, as human beings, we don't like that kind of attitude when somebody's just doing just enough. What you want to see is someone who's all in, someone who's putting their whole heart and effort, right? And so the idea that, you're, that people would try to figure out just how far their lives can be out of alignment with the Lord and still sort of be in it's actually super foreign to Scripture. But yet it is the way people go about living their lives. Chapter 3, verse 1 says this, See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children, and that is what we are. 
But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know Him. Look at this statement. Believers have experienced a supernatural new birth from God. Therefore, God is their Father, and they are His children right now. A supernatural new birth. And in the first part of this verse, the Spirit through the Apostle John, he's, it's just he's speaking with joy about the absolute wonder of being born again and being a child of God. I want you to think about this. Because we're born again and God's life is within us, we're truly alive as believers. Okay? An unbeliever who does not have the life of God within them is therefore what? Dead. See, in one sense, in the apostle's mind, the fact that he was alive gave him just such excitement to pen these words, see how very much our Father loves us for he calls us his children and that is what we are. In that one statement, he's recognizing the supernatural new birth that God had given him, that God had given the believers as contrasted to those that are not alive. And to be frank, in my life, and in most, in a lot of people's lives, I don't always detect, in my life as well, I don't always detect that same joy, that same energy, that same wonder over simply being a child of God. To have been supernaturally transferred out of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, and now into the kingdom of light. But that's what John is doing here. He's This is just bottled up within him, and then he obviously says the second part of the verse, but the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. We are different. We are distinct. We are alive and even though this is true, look at this next point. The world does not recognize this supernatural difference between believers and unbelievers because they do not know or recognize the one true God. Believers, and we'll say this again, believers are qualitatively, spiritually speaking, believers are qualitatively different from unbelievers. We have experienced a supernatural rebirth, and they have not. And here's the thing. Believers understand this. Unbelievers do not. Believers should have the mind of Christ. Now, it may be your understanding may not be great, but most believers should have an understanding of what I'm talking about, and unbelievers do not. Okay? Now, remember... We are in the world, but we're not of the world. I believe it's verse 16, John 17, 16. Jesus said, they're talking about his followers. That would be us. They do not belong to the world any more than I do. That's what Jesus, when he was praying to his father. So we're in this world. We're not of this world. And we get that. We are qualitatively different than the world we are qualitatively different than un.
believers. Now, think about what I'm saying here. Even though in the here and now, now follow me on this now, in the here and now during this age prior to the Lord coming again, believers die just like unbelievers. That's a fact. But our present lives and our future life in another age is completely different than an unbeliever's life now and an unbeliever's life in that age to come. Are you with me? In the here and now, the only basic difference... Now, we know, think about it, we have the mind of Christ, we know the basic difference... I'll be the unbeliever, you be the believer. If Michael's a believer, I'm an unbeliever. His life bears testimony that God is within him by the way he lives. But we're both, prior to Jesus coming again, we're both going to die. And from the world's perspective, there may not be a lot of difference between me and you, even though there's a world of difference in the here and now. Y'all follow me? In the age to come, it's a different ballgame because God's going to reveal, and we're fixing to get to this, in the age to come, and it's coming again, God's going to reveal He's the real deal, that He's really a child of God at the close of this age when the other age picks up. Now, we'll, we'll see this in this next few verses. Look at verse 2. Dear friends, we are already God's children, talking about in the here and now, in this age, this hour. But He has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. That would be the end of this age, the beginning of the next. But we do know that we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He really is. So, on your outline, even though we are God's children now, He has not yet shown or revealed what we will be like when Christ appears. Now, in the here and now, y'all stay with me. In the here and now, in this age, in a moment, we're going to see this from Romans, the eighth chapter. In this age, and I, and I, let me just say it. In this age, we're going to see it in a moment in Romans 8, we do not yet have what is called our full rights as God's children. We're just going to read it just in a moment out of Romans 8. We have what Scripture refers to as a foretaste of future glory. Now, here's the thing. When you say the word, well, we don't have our full rights, do not think in any way, form, or fashion that we are lacking anything as believers. Don't think like that. Because most, I, I do not, and I have met a lot of people that do not, fully avail themselves of whatever the foretaste is. Are you with me? I don't think we have fully experienced what the foretaste is yet. Okay? And in this age... We don't yet have our full rights. Are, are y'all with me on all this? You're fixing to see what I'm saying in a moment when we read Romans the 8th chapter. So in this age, we do die just like unbelievers, even though we are children of God and eternal life is within us. Now I'm going somewhere with this. But when Christ returns, we will get our full rights, which includes a new body. Look at this next point on your outline. 
when Christ appears, when there's a new age that dawns, and we see Him as He is, we will be fully transformed into His image, which includes a glorified body. In one way, our sanctification will end with our glorification. Now, right now, we're fixing to read. Let me read. Let's read Philippians 3. It'll come up on the screen. Philippians 3, starting in verse 20. I think we'll read it right off here. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Verse 21. When he returns, bam, this verse picks up. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. Using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Now go to Romans the 8th chapter. We'll start reading in verse 15. Romans 8, verse 15. Now this is kind of lengthy. We're going to read all the way to verse 25, but it's, it's necessary to get the full gist of what I'm trying to say here, what I believe God is trying to say to us. Romans 8, verse 15. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day. That future day when God will reveal who His children really are. Against His will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom and freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And we believers also groan, listen to this, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as His adopted children, including the new bodies He has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. Listen to this. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. That's the reading of God's Word. Can you say amen? So, once again, when Christ appears and we see Him as He is, we will be fully transformed into His image, which includes a glorified body and hopefully you understand what I mean by we do not have our full rights. In other words, we do not have a glorified body in this age. That only happens when the Lord returns and ushers in a new time. Verse 3, all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as He, the Lord Christ, is pure. In other words, this eager expectation, this great hope, if you will, 
the hope that we have to not only be with him, to be, but to be like him. We should all have this expectation within us, not only to be with the Lord, but to be like the Lord. And all who have this eager expectation, all who have this great hope, obviously will purify themselves. They didn't necessarily, what does it say there? Will keep themselves pure. Remember, we got a role to play. We got a responsibility in the matter. On your outline it says, those who are eagerly waiting and watching for Christ's return. Those who have this great hope to be with and like Him will continually seek to live as Christ Himself lived. And I'm going to read one last passage. And it's 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, if I can find it. Chapter 5. Verses 1 through 10. I'm going to close with this, and once I get through reading, the guys can come up and we'll answer questions. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God Himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies. And we long, listen to this. We long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan inside. But it's not, listen to this, it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. What the Apostle Paul is saying right there is he's saying we should be longing for full transformation to be transformed completely into the image of Jesus Christ. Listen to this, verse 5. God himself has prepared us for this and as a guarantee has given us his Holy Spirit. So we are always confident even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. Listen to this, verse 9. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please Him. Why? Verse 10, last verse. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. My last comment is simply this. The way we live Today impacts the way we will live tomorrow. Tomorrow being in another age. Do you, does everybody see that? The way you live your life right now in this body, in this age, impacts, impacts your life in another age when you have that glorified body. That's what we just read. Now, that's kind of hard to understand. But the, the whole New Testament is written with this just this tone of looking forward to something better than what we now have. And we forget in the land of plenty here in America that this is not our permanent home. 
We are temporary residents. We were meant for something so much better. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Family Church Podcast. You can stay connected with us at familychurch.org or by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our mission at Family Church is to pursue God, make disciples, and strengthen families. If you're in the West Monroe area, we would love for you to come join us. You can check out familychurch.org for our location and service times. 